Welcome to the Pathways to Stillness podcast series. I'm Dr. Gary Irwin Kenyon. I'm a gerontologist and a Tai Chi teacher. I decided to create this series after receiving many heartfelt responses to my book, Pathways to Stillness, Reflect, Release, Renew, which is available on Amazon, Indigo, Friesen Press, and in audiobook form from Audible and iTunes. You're also invited to check out my website, pathwaystostillness.org. As with my book, this podcast invites you to a conversation about how it is possible to discover your own pathways to meaning, peace, and stillness, even during these times of heightened anxiety, confusion, and rapid change. We are helped on our own journey to stillness by listening to the wisdom in each other's stories. Chapter 6 in my book is titled, Finding Your Way, and gives you guidelines for your explanation, exploration, as well as examples of those who have discovered meaning and stillness in their lives. Previous guests have included Thomas Moore, Care of the Soul, and Dr. Bill Randall, co-founder of Narrative Gerontology. In this series, I am in conversation with Mark McGuire, owner of McGuire Chocolate and Cafe in St. Andrews, New Brunswick. In this second episode, Mark continues to share the journey of his chocolate company and cafe, which he operates with his wife, Victoria. Mark also gives us guidelines for discovering our own pathways to stillness and his vision of the future. You've already talked about the process. Maybe say a few more words about how long it takes to actually make, you know, people would walk into even to your shop and say, buy a chocolate bar. And they, they may not have a, a sense of exactly what's involved in having it come from a cacao bean to a chocolate bar. And that's the part that, well, I mean, that's very unique in our area, right? You, you mentioned that um, in our area, we have a large chocolate company called Ganong's. And you were saying that they used to make their own chocolate, but they don't anymore. So it, it has to be quite unique what you're doing in this region. And uh, anyway, as a specific thing, I think you were saying it takes days to actually go from the bean to producing a chocolate bar. Is that correct? Yeah, quite a bit of time. And I'll even back it up a little bit to, to talk about the full journey of how that cacao comes in to be a chocolate bar. Um, so it, it's a tropical fruit. It's growing within 20 degrees north or south of the equator, it, it, so really hot areas. It likes places where there's not a lot of seasons, just kind of rainy seasons and, and, uh, and sun. And it's a very fragile plant. It's not a commercial crop. You can't plant it in rows. It, it depends on the biodiversity around it to thrive. Uh, so it, it growing in most cases just wild in in uh, the jungle is its natural element, but it it, it can grow in, in quite a few different mountain range settings and uh, even some coastal areas. But it is a fruit which is sweet and citrusy, and so when you open up the pod, it, it, there's this white kind of pulp that is just delicious. And then the pulp is surrounding the seeds and the seeds naturally has a bitterness to it. And so the magic of cacao is that 
The, the number one flavor influencer to chocolate is the fermentation process. And so the fermentation, it, it has to happen within two days of being cut from the tree. And so you take all of the seeds, you put them together in a, a big wooden box and you cover the box and the natural heat from the sun and the natural yeast from the air ferments the cacao. And then it, 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 it eats away the sugar in the, um, the pulp and, and it's an alcoholic process. It, it, it starts to go kind of vinegary. And so what's happening is the flavor of that pulp is going into the seed. And so the seed goes from being bright purple to more brown uh, as it's fermented. And so not all cacao gets fermented because of the logistical challenges. The, it, well, it takes uh, knowledge, it takes capital and infrastructure to, to have the boxes, to know what to do to ferment them. It's just not something that's accessible and available for the most of the, the world's cacao production. Uh, only about 5% of the global output of cacao ever gets fermented. Tr more, more likely what's happening is the pulp drips off of the seeds on banana leaves that are laid out on the jungle floors and, a, and then you just are left with that seed. And then that seed, when it eventually goes into chocolate, it, it, it lacks flavor depth. And so what the whole craft chocolate industry is about is about transparency in your supply chain, knowing where your cacao beans are coming from. And in doing that, you know that, they're, that there's an accountability for quality, that that fermentation is being done and that it's being done well. And so the industry, especially over the last 20 years, as the demand for high quality chocolate has gone way up, you're getting an education flowing back down towards the farmers and, and you're seeing cooperatives come up where they centralize the fermentation so it's not up to each individual farmer to ferment their beans. They coordinate with the central fermentation facility, uh, the pickup, and because it has to be done within two days of it being cut from the tree, it, it can be quite a, a challenge. The, the fermentation facility that we work with in Tanzania, they buy cacao from 3,000 different farmers. 3,000 different farmers do they communicate when they're going to be, where they're going to be. It's all staged throughout the year of like, okay, we're going to do this area. We're going to be in this, this spot. It's all off the grid and there's no access to roads. It's, it's often uh, a lot of the, it just go cut the pod down with a machete and carry the pods into a sack that you can carry and then walk up and down hilly terrain uh, until you get to that meeting place. And then the cacao journeys to the fermentation facility where it's fermented and dried and then shipped off. And so when we get the cacao, it, every bag that we open is exciting. Even if it's the same fermentation facility or the same farm, every crop, every harvest is different. Uh, there, there's a, a million different uh, factors that, that go into it all. So the very first thing that we do is uh, we assess the beans. We, if you cut the bean open, you can uh, look at the color of it. And if it's more, more purplish, it'll be more fermented on the lighter side. And if it's 
all brown and no purple at all. It's, it's more of a, a darker set ferment. ferment. And um, also the, the consistency of the color will tell you how it's being turned. And, and there's all of these different things that will impact how we roast it. The biggest thing is we taste it. We just taste it raw and you, you try to pick out what flavor notes you think could develop in the chocolate. And then you try to work with each. Each cacao bean has its own profile. We roast them. And so we're just always taking notes on our roast. And, you know, after it comes out, you taste it. What did it, what did it taste like when it had the, the uh, ending temperature at, at this versus this and uh, the different profiles to get to that end temperature. So ro roasting is one of the bigger things that we do. It's, it's for us, the, the largest determinant of flavor. You've got your fermentations, number one, and then the genetics of the bean, the roast, and the grind. Those are your four major impacts to the flavor of your chocolate. And so roasting is something that's very methodical, very sort of, and we've got data on every bean that we've ever worked with going all the way back to the beginning. So anytime we're looking at purchasing decisions, we can look back at, at what each bean did through through the seasons and and how it was processed and and the different sort of metrics off of that. So after we've roasted the beans, they've got to be shelled, and so that is you could hand peel them. I, that's how I did it at first when I was buying equipment and in, in the beginning I said, oh now I'll get a roaster and a grinder, but like I I'll just hand peel the beans. That's how I've always done it. And so when I went to go do an eight pound batch of chocolate and I was peeling them, it took me 13 hours. And so it was not feasible, which is why, yeah, just stop the production and build a winnower. And what a winnower is, is it's a, a design that's borrowed from the bird seeding industry where you, you smash the, the beans and the shells are lighter than the nibs. So then you apply airflow We've got, uh, we've built four different winnowers throughout the years and we're, we're on our fourth iteration of it. But essentially they're all the same basic concept. You use airflow to suck out the, the lighter shells, leaving behind the heavier nibs. So once you have the nibs, then you can grind. And so it's the grinding that it, it like for us, lots happens during the grind. So one, it's a tough nut and a tough seed. It's hard to get that into uh, a smooth chocolate. And so it'll take, uh, I've got three machines going right now. I'm on day eight for one, day six for another, and the other I just got on two days ago. Uh, but they'll go anywhere from seven, seven to nine days. And so we'll take it off. We measure the microns so your tongue can only taste 30 microns, anything below that, your tongue doesn't have the ability to, to decipher that. So we'll take it below 30, and that's one criteria for coming out of the machine. And the other is the flavor itself. So it, just like a spice, when you crack it, it's very aromatic, it's very powerful, it's very like at the beginning. And then as it's grinding, the, the melangers are big, heavy granite stones and the base of the bowl is granite and it spins. And so as it's the weight of the stones makes the chocolate finer and finer, the air is also touching the chocolate and then that's smoothing out the flavors. So it, you, you can blow, blow past some volatile flavors that you don't want in your chocolate 
but you can also blow past some delicate flavors that you do want in there. So it's a kind of a fine art on figuring out what you want to do with each bean and how much you want to aerate it. Uh, how much heat do you want to apply uh, at it during this process? We've got heaters above the melangers so that we can have a little bit extra element of control in the grind. And this is also where you add your additional ingredients. So it's where cacao and, and cane sugar come together to be one. And, and so if it's milk chocolate, you use a, a dried milk powder or whatever ingredient you're using, it all goes into the melanger uh, and it all becomes one smooth chocolate eventually over about the course of a week. It's, I mean, it's, it's really, it's wonderful to hear this. You know, you would say, this is not your regular job, right? <laughs> you, you go to work for eight hours and punch the clock. And, uh, you know, this is, it's, it's really an art form, a craft. And you have to have uh, uh, passion. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. When I was speaking before about your uh, pa pathway or your journey, I did forget to mention the uh, a very important part of that, and that is that your journey went on where you met Victoria, and now you have a, a wonderful family with two young children, and uh, so I, I don't want to forget that. That's a very important part of the journey, too. I think for, for, based on what you're saying and why, why I wanted to interview you, in my uh, language I try to use your cafe as a, a barista stillness refuge because of what you do there with the setting that you provide. It's, it's calm. People feel restful. They know they're, whenever someone comes and tastes your, your ice cream or your bread or your, your chocolate or your coffee, they are all really pleased. In fact, I had a friend from Fredericton in this morning and we, we went over, he hadn't, didn't know about your place, and we sat outside and had some toast and coffee, and, and then he bought some chocolate, and he said, oh, wow, man, I didn't know there was anything like this in, in St. Andrews. So very unique and a wonderful story. I wonder if uh, you would have any words for those who might come up behind you, you know, some those who are, say, I don't know, looking for what they would like to do or how they might be, how they might get on the kind of journey that you've just had. Do you have any reflections on that? Yeah, I, I think you, you really kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when you talked about being open. It's just sometimes too easy to throw up the blinders and, and say, this is what I want and I'm going to go get it. And, and, and when you do that, you're sometimes... Uh, missing some of the opportunities that that come right in front of your right right in front of you um i i think that's a really important element and and i think another thing is to really own your time take accountability for your happiness it's 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 yours you gotta really be careful with it you don't want to wake up one day and realize that you've been living for someone else or, or you've you, you want to just make sure that you're comfortable and 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 happy with what you're doing every step along the way thank you very wise one thing i i like to ask uh, our guests is do you have a 
a sense or a vision for the future, which could be a small, smaller or larger vision, like in terms of what you're doing. You know, you're, um, we live in a world where there's mega corporations and they're, they're trying to produce things at the cheapest possible way. Just throw it all out there with a flashy marketing scheme. Do you have any sense of how you see that going as we go forth in the future? Yeah, it's something that we're always thinking about. We always try to kind of scenario plan five years into in the future. And so we're right now kind of investing in ourselves and a little bit of training. We're, we're taking a marketing course, like kind of a one-year sort of marketing camp. It's, it's something that we've not ever really done before. And it's, it's kind of nice to, to take some schooling just to brush up and on, on uh, some of the elements that you can brush past. So it, it's been fun. Victoria and I are doing it together. And uh, so it, it's one of those things we, we don't want to be advertising, but we want to be able to connect with our audience and, and understand what they want and how can we best fulfill it and, and improve what we're doing. So we're, we're kind of taking a little bit of time to do that. We're also doing some technical training on, on some other things that we've got in the works that we'll hopefully see coming out in the next couple of years. But I, I would say like the number one thing, the very number one thing I see for the future is our, our boys. They're going to be two years old and one years old coming up in the next few months. So it's a really sort of precious time for in their lives like they're just so small and and just so full of life and uh, we just try to spend as much time as we can with them and uh, really sort of soak soak in this this period of their life because uh, you know time only goes forward and we're just never going to be able to pick them up the way that we can now and and it's just it's fun so right in the immediate term we're we're just gonna enjoy enjoy life with the kids and 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 from a long-term labor forecasting perspective we're we're hoping to seamlessly integrate them into the factory as as time goes on too <laughs> uh, but yeah that's that's it we just want to Make sure that we're in, in, maintaining a high level of quality in our products and, and any new avenue that we venture into, that we're, we're making sure that we're doing it on the foundation of our core values. And, and that's really just ingredient integrity and simplicity, high quality, short ingredient lists. Yeah, so you're confident with the, you know, there's kind of, as I mentioned, there's kind of the big chains that are out there doing things and then there's the uh, like in uh, espresso cafes too the, the fourth generation independent smaller markets or smaller communities but they seem to be doing ext- uh, increasingly well as people experiment and that that good coffee for example gets shared more people are starting to look for that um, and I that's where I see your what you're doing, it, it helps to uh, improve qu- quality of life uh, for people. They're getting a healthy something healthy and something that tastes good. And I think that helps to uh, move it in that direction <laughs> uh, with the big giants out there, you know. For sure. Yeah, you have to know your market and, and not try to compete in their playing field. 
We're never going to compete on cost. You just won't. Uh, you, you just you have to differentiate with quality, and then and then know your market and and try to try to serve the people who appreciate what you do. Well, Mark, this has been wonderful, and uh, thank you very much for being a guest in the Pathways to Stillness podcast. And um, I look forward to uh, seeing you on a regular basis at your cafe in St. Andrews. So thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Gary. Thank you for listening to the Pathways to Stillness podcast series. My book, Pathways to Stillness, Reflect, Release, Renew, is available on Amazon, Indigo Chapters, and Friesen Press. It is also available in audiobook form from Audible, Amazon, and iTunes.